Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello again, friends, and welcome to episode eight of The Sco Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation. My name is Mark Schofield, happy to be back in the big chair and back with you, my dear friends. Today's show is another loaded episode for you with a big theme, roster projections. I'm going to have my one and only 53-man roster projection predictions for you prior to Saturday's cutdown day, and later in the show, we'll have our first repeat guest, Taylor Kyles from Pat's Pulpit comes back on to run through his roster projections for us. Prior to that, I'll be talking for a few minutes about Patriots tight end, former Patriots tight end. Still hard to put that disclaimer in there. Rob Gronkowski and his next chapter. But before we get to all of that, your usual cavalcade of reminders. Please do follow along with the hijinks on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Please do check out the work in a number of places, including Inside the Pylon, Matt Waldman's Rookie Scouting Portfolio, Pro Football Weekly, and that triumvirate of SB Nation websites. Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, where I co-host the QB Sco Show with the Honorable Michael J. Kist, and of course, Pat's Pulpit, where you can find this podcast as part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and the film breakdowns that I will be doing. Also, don't forget, you can be a part of the ongoing discussion on the SCO Show's Slack channel. I'm lucky and honored to have a grown community of Patriots fans constantly talking Pats and more over there. You can hit me up for an invitation via Twitter or email, mark.schofield at insidethepylon.com. I mentioned a moment ago that we would start today's show by talking about Gronk. Earlier this week, the Patriots' former tight end returned to the public eye to announce his next chapter, as he called it. And he took to the stage in front of reporters to unveil that he was joining up with Abacus Health Products to advocate on behalf of CBD. Specifically, Mr. Recovery, as he called himself, is going to make the case that CBD is an acceptable alternative way for players, athletes, pro football players to deal with pain. Now, cannabis, marijuana of any kind is obviously you know, including CBD. It is currently on the league's list of banned substances. But Gronk said that his dad, of all people, introduced him to CBD products following his retirement, Gronk's retirement, and Gronk said that he has felt pain-free for the first time in over a decade. Now, the announcement in the press conference showed sort of Gronk in his element, and I saw some reviews saying that if people had a company of their own, they would want Gronk to sort of be the pitch man, the spokesperson for it. But there was a moment during his press conference that resonated with many largely because of the divergence from the Gronk we saw the other day and then the Gronk that Patriots fans and and NFL fans grew to love over his career. For a moment, 
that happy, outgoing, vibrant Gronk, the one that we knew and loved, the guy with the Gronk spikes, the guy that was doing that press conference even, was gone. And what we saw instead was not Gronk, not the tight end that we love, but Robert. And a man, just another man, struggling to recall some of his inner demons and the turmoil that this game put him through. I'm going to play that moment and I'll talk about it here on the other side. But I want to be clear to my fans. I needed to recover. I was not in a good place. Football was bringing me down. And I didn't like it. And I was losing that joy in life. Like, the joy. I'm sorry right now, but, oh. (laughs) Dang, let me, oh. I really was. And I was fighting through it. And I knew what I signed up for. And I knew what I was fighting through. And I knew i just have to fix myself. Now that sticks with you. You can see, you can hear, you know, in his words, in his voice, the, the tremble in there. And if you watch this video clip, you can find it on Twitter. You see that he's breaking up. And for a brief moment, the Gronk we knew and grew to love is gone. Instead, we are seeing a young man tormented by the mere thought of his past, the road he had traveled, and what that road and what his path was doing to him, mind, body, and soul. Gronk also relayed what he was dealing with in the wake of Super Bowl 53. And yes, we saw how his career seems to have ended. Pulling in a, a throw on a seam route amidst multiple defenders on the game's only touchdown drive. Perhaps a fitted end for his career. But it was a more innocuous looking play, a tackle earlier in the game that he would be talking about. A hit to his quad that left him severely bruised. And in the weeks after the game, he would be able to sleep with just 20 minutes of time. He would need that quad drained and it severely hampered his quality of life. And yet, if you pull up the replay, it looks like a tackle you probably see 10 times a game, if not more. One of those plays that you just sort of breeze by. Everybody gets up, nobody stays down, and you think, all right, back to the huddle, everybody. It's hard to keep the Gronkowski event in a vacuum. It comes in a week where we saw another of the game's young talents, Andrew Luck, step away from the sport. In his retirement press conference, he talked about depression and dark places and the pain and the turmoil the game put Luck through. We remember with Luck the shoulder injury, the recent calf injury, but let's not forget that he played through a lacerated kidney that left him urinated blood. Let's also not forget that for every big injury that he had, using some quotes there, there's no injuries really small or minor, there were the everyday bumps and bruises and aches that just linger with you. This game exacts a toll, a mental and a physical one, and it's a toll that you pay for the rest of your life. In the next week or so, former Patriot Ryan O'Callaghan will be releasing My Life on the Line, his story of his life in the National Football League written with Sid Ziegler. I'm working through an advanced copy of that book now, and we'll have something on Pat's Pulpit early next week about it, but my early review is that it is a fascinating work and must-read stuff. Now, there's a lot in this book that sticks with you, But I wanted to read this passage as O'Callaghan thinks back to his senior year of high school. During my senior season, what spun around in my head was what to do after football. I owned my first rifle when I was just 12. Guns were a part of my life. They were in our house, in my closet, and I knew how to use them. I had been trained at a very young age how to care for a firearm, how to use it correctly, and how to defend myself with it. My father taking me on hunting excursions was only part of my exposure to guns. Their presence in our lives was part and parcel of being O'Callaghan. I figured even before I got to Cal that someday, when football was over, I'd need to take one of those guns and put a bullet in my head. 
I guess some people talk about killing themselves in broad terms and never really mean it. I meant it. I didn't want to die, to be sure. Graduating from high school the way I looked at the way I looked at it, Cal football would keep me alive for the next five years. I'd get everything I possibly could out of the experience. I'd have as much fun as I could while always looking over my shoulder. And then it would all be over. Now, obviously, Ryan O'Callaghan was dealing with his personal identity, his sexual identity, throughout his entire life and during high school. And the book, which again, I strongly recommend. I'm not even done with it. I strongly recommend you get it. So that was a part of what he was dealing with. But as he continues his career through Cal, that sentiment, that idea that he's going to have to take his own life, his sexuality was part of it, but the mountain injuries and surgeries that he was putting himself through grew to be a bigger part of it. And this game, as I said, as I said back on Tuesday, it does exact a toll on you, regardless of the level you played. Lingering injuries, the things you do to your body to get yourself back onto the field. You know, the pains and the aches that stay with you. And of course, the doubt, the doubt that creeps into your mind when you walk into a room and have absolutely no earthly idea why you walked in there. Sure, it's probably just the fact that you're a 42-year-old man who recently moved and you're trying to balance 15 different spinning plates. But it could be the start of something else. And you can't shake that doubt every time you have a moment like that, especially when those moments start piling up. But enough about me. Look, this is still a beautiful sport. A sport that can do so much for a person, even save their life. I've talked about on Locked On Patriots, and you can sense it creeping into this show as well, that this game has done so much for me, even just playing it at the Division Three level. It, in a sense, perhaps saved my life. The path I was going on down, that road I was going down as a lawyer, that was a dark place as well. I was dealing with some depression. A lot of the stuff you heard both Gronk and Luck say, that was me as a lawyer. But finding this second career and getting the chance to come on shows like this and talk about this sport that I still love perhaps saved my life. O'Callaghan, he had some inner demons to deal with. And yet the subtitle to his book is How the NFL Damn Near Killed Me and Ended Up Saving My Life. But in the wake of Luck and Gronk stepping away from the game, Never forget what these guys put themselves through to learn the underlying messages the sport teaches and to get back onto the field for their teammates. Now let's shift gears a bit and quickly work through my one and only roster projections of the 2019 season. Now last year, over at Locked On Patriots, look, I did, I think, four of these, five of these, but we're going with the projection of integrity, one version for all the marbles. And we'll start, obviously, you know me, at the quarterback position, and I'm going to go with three. I think the Patriots will want to have some flexibility at the quarterback spot if something does happen to Tom Brady, knock on wood. Um, so they're going to keep Brady, Hoyer, and Stidham. At least that's how I see it. I think there's also something to consider, the relationship between Brady and Hoyer. Brady has talked before about how he likes having Hoyer's viewpoint on things. I think that will help Tom Brady. And so remember, we're all about helping our quarterback here the Scotia. At the running back spot, I've got six guys making it. Sonny Michelle, James White, James Devlin, Rex Burkhead, Brandon Bolden, Damian Harris. I think they keep all six. I think that's a tremendous running back room. Tight ends, interested because you've got the two guys facing suspension in Watson and Kendricks, but I'm going to go with Matt Lacoste and Ryan Izzo, that they keep them out of the gate. And obviously they will reevaluate that position when those guys come back from suspension. But I think, you know, as I've said before, 
I think this might be more of a 10 personnel team than an 11 or a 12 personnel team. So tight end might not be the need that it has been for this roster in years past. It starts to get interested in a wide receiver. I'm going with six guys plus one, including Matthew Slater. So technically seven wide receivers. Uh, Josh Gordon, Julian Edelman, Nikhil Harry, Philip Dorsett, Demarius Thomas, and Jacoby Myers, I think are the six they keep. Now, is there a case to be made that perhaps Berrios or Gunner get in over Demarius Thomas? Maybe. But I think they're going to lean with these six. That's how I see it. Now, offensive line, I've got eight. The big question mark is obviously David Andrews and how his health situation, obviously released from the hospital with some blood clots in his lungs. But I'm going to leave him off for now. That just doesn't sound like he's going to be ready for this year. So I'm going to go with Wynn, Tooney, Karras, Mason, Cannon. That's your starting five now. Behind them, I'm going Cole Croston, Hilde Froholt, and James Ferentz as the other three guys behind them. Froholt has some flexibility on the inside. I think Croston is going to get that nod, perhaps, even though he's been banned up a bit over Skipper. But I think it, you know Skipper and Croston are probably going to be your swing tackle type guys. You know, and you know I'm rethinking this one here on the fly. Let's make a change here on the fly. We're going to keep Skipper over Croston. We'll have Froholt and Ferentz as our other two interior guys. So. That's another first here of the SCO show. Making an adjustment, calling an audible on the fry, but we'll keep Dan Skipper. I think that makes a bit more sense, don't you? I think so. So we'll keep Skipper. So that's on the offense. That gives us 25 players. Defensive side of the ball, interior defensive lineman, Guy, Shelton, Cowart, and Butler. I think they keep those four. I divided it interior defensive line, edge, then linebackers, corners, and safeties. So those are your four interior defensive linemen, edge types. I think they keep four. Winovich, Bennett, Simon, and Rivers. I think they find a way to keep those four guys. Maybe I'm reaching with Rivers there. I'm seeing a lot of people doing their projections, leaving him out. I'm going to keep him in. I'm not going to give up that ghost yet. Linebackers, Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, Dante Hightower, Landon Roberts, and Juwan Bentley. Perhaps you know, just a solid unit. You know, and they can they have some flexibility there. Obviously, you know, Roberts is more of an inside guy, but they can move these guys around. I like the athleticism. This is a much improved unit over a couple of years ago. Corners, we're keeping six. Going to sneak a guy on here. Stephon Gilmore, Jason McCourty, JC Jackson, Jonathan Jones, Joe Juan Williams, and yes, Duke Dawson. We're going to see if there's a way to sneak him on. I know some people have said maybe Keon Crossan makes this team as a special teamer. I'm not ready to go there. I think they're not ready to give up on Dawson. So that's what I've got at the corner spot, at the safety spot. I got them keeping four. And there's another ghost I'm not ready to give up yet either. We got Devin McCourty, Patrick Chun, Deron Harmon, and yes, Obi Melanfon, I'm, I'm keeping him on this roster as a safety. He's been able to contribute on special teams, so we're going to do that. Obviously, I've got him in over Terrence Brooks, in a sense. I know a lot of people have liked Brooks, um, but we're going to talk about you know a potential way he could sneak on in a moment. That's when we get to the specialists. Steven Gostowski, the kicker. Jake Bailey, the punter. Uh, Joe Cardona, your lawn snapper. We've got Matthew Slater as your gunner. And I'm going to keep one more special teamer, Nate Ebner, on this roster. Um, a lot of people said maybe Calvin Munson makes it as a special teamer. You know, maybe Terrence Brooks, because of his ability to play special teams, they keep him as both a backup strong safety and a special teamer. I know our next guest, I mean our only guest today, is going to make a case for Terrence Brooks. But So that's how I get to 53. Is it going to be right? 
Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm probably going to hit maybe 44 of these, I'd say. That's my rough guess. We'll come back later next week and check to see how I did. But I, I'm, I'm guessing 44. I'm going to be wrong. But that's the beauty, I think, about doing this is you admit your mistakes. People that have followed me and follow my work, they know, look, I'm more than happy to take some else because we're talking about a sport. I mean, let's go. It's not life or death here. Although, as I said, when you read Ryan O'Callaghan's book, My Life on the Line, for some people, this sport actually has been life or death. Up next, Taylor Kyles from Pat's Pulpit will join the show. We're going to talk his roster projections, get his thoughts on the Gronkowski news as well. That's ahead on Episode 8 of The Sco Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. And welcome back to episode episode eight of the Sco Show. My name is Mark Schofield, as you might have guessed. And we have a first here. We have our first repeat guest, the one and only Taylor Kyles joins us now. He's going to do his roster projection. And just at the outset, as with mine, we recorded these on Wednesday. So if the Patriots do anything, say, late in the afternoon or evening on Wednesday, make any roster moves, and we don't have those people on our projections, don't hold it against us. This is Bill Belichick doing what he does best. But with that being said, Taylor, my friend, how are you, buddy? Welcome back. I'm honored to be a repeat guest, man. Thank you so much for having me. How's the new house? Now, the new house is going well. Um, had some contractors through today uh, doing some electrical work, doing some changing the locks and all that good stuff. But but we're getting there. We're getting there. And it's, it's one of those next chapters. It's, it's Speaking of next chapters, Taylor. We saw Robert mm-hmm. Gronkowski have his next chapter this week where he announced that he's going to be partnering up with Abacus Medical. They're going to be doing some, he's going to be promoting CBD and how that sort of new technology can help people recover. He's calling himself Mr. Recovery. I don't know, Taylor, if you had a chance to sort of saw, catch any of that. And if so, if you had any thoughts on it. I did get to see some of it. And um, my biggest takeaway really was just, I mean, I know there's a lot of speculation about whether or not he's going to come back and people really want to know if maybe he's going to be here, be back in, uh, you know, the blue and red and silver later this year, maybe next year. Honestly, I, I don't even like really talking about his possible return because the way that he spoke about his road to recovery and getting back in the night after the Super Bowl, having to get all the fluid drained out of his leg and not being able to sleep and being in tears – and that was heartbreaking to hear from someone who's always so excitable and he's a, he's a light in the room and he's such a great person. You really hate to hear that he go, he's going through something like that. So my biggest takeaway was that I hope that he's happy in his retirement. And frankly, I kind of selfishly hope he stays there just for his long-term health. You know, I'm kind of right there with you. It was hard in that moment when you saw him get choked up. You know, because we're used to, like you said, the bright light in the room, Gronk, the Gronk spikes, the fun, outgoing guy. That wasn't him in that moment. That was just kind of like Robert, a guy struggling with some turmoil. And I'm kind of with you. I think, look, he went out on top. He went out a champion and went out. Well, always remember him 
with that catch on that seam route, I think it's better to be best for him if he just stays away. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and the same thing with Andrew Luck, actually. You know, yeah. his press conference talking about all the pain that he had to go through and how tough it was for him to have to rehab and the mental strain. That's something I feel like is really not talked about enough or at least not appreciated enough is that as much as the physical toll it takes on their bodies, also mentally having to go through all that rehab. I've done a little bit of rehab myself for my shoulders when I was in high school, and that was a drag. I can't imagine doing it for a significant injury that you have to come back from and you know never knowing if you're going to be the same and just having to do that every single day. So, I mean, I hope he's, like I said, I hope they're both happy in their retirement. They're both charismatic guys they have the world in their hands so i'm really happy that they've come to decisions that they're comfortable with all right taylor that was fantastically well said let's sort of roll into what we brought you on here for your 53-man roster projections you put together a twitter thread on it please do check that out t kyle's 39 but i wanted to ask you position by position here we'll start with the qbs are you saying they keep two or do you think they keep three i'm going three here now I know if there's precedent for the Patriots only keeping two with, with Jimmy Garoppolo's situation. That was the first time that Brian Hoare was cut, and they went with a rookie. And I like what I've seen from Jared Siddham this uh, preseason. He's had a bunch of flashes. You see him. It's really surprising how comfortable he was in the pocket at times. He steps up. He makes throws when he knows he's going to take a wallop. You know, he got hit a lot at Auburn, so there was some concern that he wouldn't really uh, be comfortable in the NFL quite yet. But he's shown a lot of promise. However, there have also been plenty of cracks. There's been times where he's forcing decisions, where he's holding the ball too long. There was the strip sack where he really should have just protected the ball and said he tried to run and get it out again, and he wound up fumbling. So that being said, Brian Hoyer, even if he's not the most exciting backup quarterback prospect, he's one of the better ones in the league, not just because he brings you some solidarity if he is forced to play because of all the experience he has, but he's also a huge asset off the field. He helps Brady if there's something in Brady's mechanics or something that he sees that needs work or something in the defense. Hoyer can give him that veteran kind of perspective. He's a huge help off the field and in the classroom with Jared Stidham, with Brady. So I think unless they get a significant trade offer for him, which I'm not totally sure they're going to get, I know there were some whispers that the Colts might try to make a move for him, but I'm, I'm not really sure how much there is to that. I'm pretty sure that's just, you know, trade rumors when things like what happened with Andrew Luck happened. Uh, but I, I think that they're going to roll with three. I really like what Hoyer brings, and I don't see the need to get rid of him. Yeah, I'm with you. I think they, you know, they keep the three, and I think part of it is, you know, what, like you said, what Brian Hoyer means to both Brady and Stidham in the classroom and the film room. I think that's a big part of it. Running backs, I think this one's a pretty clean one, but who do you have the Patriots keeping? Yeah, that was my easiest one. I've got Michelle and Harris as the workhorse backs. Rex Burkhead's going to be worked in there as well, I think. Probably towards the beginning of the season, we're mostly going to see Rex as the second back to really get carries. But I think Damian Harris is going to get a bigger role as the season progresses. Obviously, James White, James Devlin, they're both studs in their roles, excellent players that are super versatile. And Brandon Bolden, who yeah. I, I really want to see him get carries, honestly. I know it's selfish, but his contact balance and vision yeah. are fantastic. At times in the preseason, he's looked like he did in 2012 when there was, you know, he and Ridley were just tearing apart defenses. He had that one great game. I don't know if you remember against the Bills early yep. in the season, his rookie year. So, um, yeah, that was a pretty easy one to go with. They're loaded with a lot of guys that are super versatile and can do a lot of things. We might even see Sony Michelle get more reps at receiver. He's, I think, the only person that Brady didn't throw any completion to when targeting um, in training camp. So, I mean, I love this group of guys. They're going to be fun to watch. 
Yeah, I think this is probably the easiest position group, maybe other than linebacker, to, to figure out here. Now, the next two are going to be a little bit tougher. There's tight end and there's wide receiver. How did you handle those two position groups? This one was tough, and I got a lot of flack for saying that I thought that uh, Philip Dorsett could be a trade candidate, and that's completely fair. I understand that you know when you hear it, it sounds pretty jarring considering how consistent he's been. And I'm, I've been driving the Philip Dorsett hype train since he got here. I love him. I think that he's a really reliable guy, and I like his. He's got a limited route tree, but he runs them well. And I'm not even so sure if that's because of what he can do. I think it's more that's just the role that he's had in the offense where he usually runs just the out routes, the curls, the comebacks, those things that doesn't really take the top off the defense like you'd expect for someone with his speed. But that's also not their system, and he's super reliable. There was a play in the last game where he said that Brady let the ball go before Dorsett even turned around on, I believe it was a comeback, just because of their chemistry and how well they know each other. So I thought that he might get moved for a bigger opportunity elsewhere because I currently got them carrying seven receivers, not including Matt Slater. And there's just so many bodies at the position. Demarius right. Thomas seems like he's going to have a role. Obviously, you got Kobe Myers and Harry, two promising rookies that are definitely going to make it. And I also have uh, actually Gunnar Oshevsky. That's a tough one. I'm going to have a lot of yeah. I'm going to have a lot of fun writing that one every week if you make the team. But with, with what we saw in his returns, I mean, he was electric, and he's got that Edelman factor where he makes the first guy miss. And he sees the field so well on his returns where it seems like he has a really good feel for where people are, where his blocking is, and where openings are going to be. So I've got Gunner sneaking onto the roster over Braxton Berrios, who I had on my previous projection. And uh, Philip Dorsett's right back on there unless I think, you know, there's some trade offer where he can be a solid number two or number three. Because right now I see Dorsett as more of a four or five once Harry gets back healthy. And what about that tight end position group, Taylor? What did you do there? Tight end, I've only got them carrying one, and that's Ryan Izzo, because okay. he was running with the starters. He was looking really good as a blocker. He was moving the Panthers defensive ends off the ball. He looked really good at the point of attack from the backside. He was doing a lot of good things in the running game. He had that one great catch. He's not a he's not somebody that you're going to want to rely on too much as a receiver, but he's got solid hands. He's not going to you know run a huge route tree like maybe someone like Gronkowski. But they did at least even show that they were comfortable splitting him out wide. Um, I think he was out at the X position in a reduced split, which means he's closer to the formation, but he's not on the formation. He's more of a perimeter receiver. Again, not sure they're going to use him in that capacity very much, but I think he's the best blocker, and you have to be a good run blocker to be a starting tight end for the Patriots. Then we've got Watson and Kendricks that are suspended, obviously. So I think Kendricks, I'm not sure if he's going to make the team when he's eligible to come back, but you know they can still stash him. And I just don't think the other guys are good enough blockers to make the team, quite frankly. Um, Eric Solbert, another name that's kind of tough to pronounce, but I like his special teams upside and his athleticism. He's, he runs like a receiver when you see him out there. He's a big guy, big target, but he's got very consistent hands. I saw him drop a ball in every game that I scouted for him. Although his athleticism is intriguing, and I don't really know that he's done enough in the preseason to warrant a spot. So I'm going with one, and that's Ryan Izzo. Okay, I kind of like what you did there. Now, Offensive line, obviously we've got the David Andrews situation to figure out. We don't know what his status is going to be. It probably doesn't look good. But, you know, with that sort of in mind, how are you envisioning this OL group playing out? Well, I think, I first and foremost, I hope David Andrews uh, can get back, and I hope everything's okay with him. I believe that uh, Doc Flynn said that he's likely going to be out for the season. If that's what it takes for him to take care of himself, then that's the first priority. So I've got Ted Karras sliding into that spot. 
He's got four years of experience with this team. He understands the protections and the play calls. He's looked good and fit in well as a starter. Primarily, he's a really good pass blocker. And then I've also got him with, you know, the mainstays with Joe Tooney and Shaq Mason. And then I've got uh, Hajalte Froholt, another mm-hmm. one. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, he's been shaky to rookie Froholt in the preseason. Uh, he's had some trouble in pass protection. There was one snap against the Panthers in particular where with the Patriots' interior offensive line, they're, they've got great chemistry. They've been working together for so long, and there are a lot of smart guys. So you don't really see a lot of teams successfully run stunts that get into the uh, inside of the pocket and really disrupt Brady where you really want to get to. But uh, Foles had one snap against the Panthers where he overcommitted to a crashing defensive tackle who was going to, I believe, his left side. He was going towards the between the uh, guard and the tackle. And then the edge defender was actually looping around and Froholt wasn't there to pick that up. And I'm sure that Scar gave him an earful for that one. So hopefully he doesn't see too much action early in his career, but he's very promising. He was a great pass protector in college. So, you know, that's just, he just needs some coaching up from Scar. And then um, outside for the tackles, I've got Isaiah Wynn, Marcus Cannon, and then Cole Crossan is a swing because Crossan's got that inside-out versatility. He can play tackle and guard, which I think is going to be huge considering what's happening with David Andrews. And I gave Crossan the edge over Dan Skipper, who's a really tall guy, but that, that height can be a detriment as well because it's hard for him to get under guys because he's so high all the time and he doesn't have a great anchor, so he's susceptible to power moves. So I think they can skip if you can stash Skipper on the practice squad, bring him up in case of emergencies. And then I've got Yadni Kajust, who I see as Marcus Cannon's heir apparent. He's super athletic, got great size. I think he's going to be on NFI to start the year. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Kajust there. Yeah, the Crosston and, and Skipper one is one I went back and forth on, and I actually changed it as I was recording. I initially had Crosston down there. I changed it to Skipper, but I think we're going to see sort of a, a tackle off in the final preseason game. <laughs> you know, Taylor, let, let's switch gears, talk about the defense. I don't know how you – I forget how you constructed your defense. Let's say, you know, defensive line first. Who do you got on the D-line? Defensive line. So as a primary nose tackle, I've got Danny Shelton. He's been fantastic, playing like gangbusters this preseason. He said he's lost some weight, and he's always had a good first step, but this year it's really jumping off the tape. He fires off the ball. He's usually the first one off before even the defensive uh, ends, the more you know, smaller athletic guys. So I've got Shelton. He took the job from Mike Pinnell, who I thought was a virtual lock when he was signed with the team, but he hasn't really done much apparently in practice, and he was getting a lot of late reps in the preseason. So Terrence Knight in kind of situation where he looks like a lock when they sign him, but the writing's on the wall as you get into the preseason games. And I think there's also Lawrence Guy I have as one of the defensive tackles, but Guy in those four-man fronts has been playing the nose tackle role next to Michael Bennett, who's been playing a lot of three technique, sometimes over the center. So I think we're going to see those guys manning the middle a lot, as well as Adam Butler and Byron Cowart, who's the rookie. Cowart's a really interesting guy. He's been playing with good power. He's looked right in the line with the rest of the starters when he played against uh, the Panthers starting offense in Carolina. I like his power, his ability to hold his ground at the line of scrimmage. So I'm excited about him. I've got him making it as a guy who really has been coming on of late. And then um, as my edge guys, I've got Chase Winovich, John Simon, and Dietrich Wise, who I didn't have on my last pro- uh, projection, but I slid him on with Shalee Calhoun and Derek Rivers' status up in the air. If, Sh- if Calhoun were healthy, I would put him over Wise, but Wise has been up and down. He's gotten moved off the ball a few times, which you don't love to see considering his role. But he's also had some good plays as well. So especially considering he's got experience with the team, I think he's a pretty safe bet to uh, be on the team. And Michael Bennett? 
Michael Bennett, yes. I think he's primarily going to be the – he's had inside-out versatility in his career. He usually has played defensive end or outside in uh, – when he was in Seattle, that's in, in Philly as well. That's where he played on early downs, and then he would kick inside on passing downs. But I think he's mostly going to be a three technique or playing over the nose in their pass rush packages with the amoeba or, you know, with the linebacker right. standing up. But I think we talked about it last time. His explosiveness, you see it in the preseason. His game is so well-rounded. I don't remember the last time the Patriots have had a player of his caliber. He's going to be a nightmare for opposing offensive lines, and he's going to be a fun guy for Patriots Nation to watch this year, and any I, football fan, really. I, I really like the idea of kicking Bennett sort of inside, shaded on the center on, on passing downs. I love that, Taylor. Uh, let's talk about the second level of linebackers. I think it's such a solid group. What did you do with this group? Okay, so for my inside guys, I've got Juwan Bentley and Alandon Roberts. Bentley does have some flexibility to play outside. We saw him kind of in that role uh, last season, especially against the Lions. But Bentley usually is inside, and with all the inside-out versatility the team has, I think that's going to be his main role uh, as an inside linebacker with Alandon Roberts coming in on early downs or in games where they're really trying to emphasize run defense because, you know, Alandon Roberts, is, his physicality is excellent. and He was a cog against the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs stopping their running game. He was a one-man wrecking crew, uh, so I think he's going to make the roster as well. In terms of inside-out versatility, the guys that can line up anywhere, I've got Van Noy, Hightower, and Jamie Collins, who are just a terrifying group for offenses, yeah. and they're going to be very fun. Belichick can do so many things with them, put them on that line of scrimmage, put them inside. Hightower usually only kicks down to the line of scrimmage when the pass is coming, really obvious passing situations, and it's usually on the inside for early downs. Van Noy's kind of the opposite. He'll be on the line of scrimmage and early downs. And then late, sometimes he'll play middle linebacker instead and be used primarily in coverage on running backs out of the backfield, things like that. And Jamie Collins, is, I liked him more as an inside guy because I think that his hand usage isn't quite good enough to consistently hold up against better offensive tackles when he's on the line of scrimmage. But with that speed move he's got, if he can get a step on someone, he's dangerous. So, again, another guy with great versatility. And then Calvin Munson, who I think is a guy not a lot of people know about. He hasn't gotten a lot of fanfare or many snaps with the starters at all just because of all the depth on the team. But he's a guy who's shown some athleticism. He's got good timing of the snap. He got into the backfield against the Panthers on a running play. He overcommitted and didn't make the tackle. But you see the athleticism. He's a fun guy to watch. And he's been making plays, granted, not against starters, but all you can do is maximize your opportunities. And I think with Brandon King's injury, it opens up a spot for him. So I've got uh, Calvin Munson seeks on the roster for the last linebacker spot. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised you made that call. There have been a lot of people that have been saying that, look, you know, he's going to carve out a role for himself on this roster, especially, you know, his ability to play special teams. He's somebody that I was thinking about as well. But I really like your inclusion of him. I think that's a great call there. Now, when it gets tough on the defensive side of the ball, Taylor, is in the secondary. At corner, at safety, there are going to be some tough decisions. I know there's a safety that you like. Let's start there. Let's go safety first. Who are the safeties you're going to keep? Okay, so I mentioned this. I foolishly left uh, Deron Harmon and Nate Ebner off my last projection just because it was so hard, especially at that point, when there weren't as many injuries to – for lack of a better term, free up those spots. You know, you hate to see guys go down, but that's football at the same time. Uh, with Deron Harmon, his experience, his leadership, he's a guy that I really didn't want to leave off my last projection, but I wasn't sure how he was going to fit with Terrence Brooks emerging and McCourty kind of staying at free safety instead of being versatile and playing in the boxes he often does. But I'm pretty sure Harmon's going to stick. He had a good game against the Panthers. Uh, Ebner with his special teams upside. Again, it was hard to leave him off, but you know what? He's back on because he's 
way too valuable to the team. I'm not really sure how you get rid of him at this point. And then I've got Terrence Brooks making the roster. I like him a lot. He was used exclusively really as a deep safety with the Jets last season in limited uh, snaps when Marcus May was injured. But he's got a lot of athleticism, good speed. He's, he's flexible. You can really see it when he's covering tight ends, how he's able to get low and move his hips. I really like watching him cover those guys. He doesn't have Chung's physicality as the box safety. I have him and Chung as the main box guys. I, I think like, just Chung's got that little bit of a linebacker mentality and you know that aggressiveness in him. And But Brooks has plenty of uh, aggressiveness. He's a special teams guy. He's excellent on special teams. So I don't really think that's going to be an issue. He's going to be fun to watch. And I've actually got Obi Melifon not making the roster. I just don't think he's earned it quite yet. He's had hiccups in coverage. You haven't seen him really rolling with the starters anymore. I know he had a bunch of interceptions in training camp, but training camp only goes so far. Those things aren't translating in games. And although he's a great special teamer as well, so that could prove me wrong. I think he could get onto the roster with his special teams value. But with the people on the roster that I currently have, I think they deserve it more than he does at this point, even though I love his athleticism and his upside. Yeah, I, I I had to keep him on when I did mine. I was just I, I'm gonna die on that hill that he's gonna be the guy <laughs> that used to cover tight ends. But you know, I like how you broke down the safeties there, Taylor. Let's close it off. I, we'll do specialists, of course, but on the defensive side of the ball, what corners do you think make this roster? Does Duke Dawson survive? I don't think he does, and it's it's partially his fault because he hasn't had the best preseason. I yeah. know he had one really strong practice against the Panthers, but he's. One thing that worried me coming out of college was I thought he had pretty stiff hips. And I, it was, that was a mixed opinion. There were some people who saw that and some people who didn't. So I took it with a grain of salt. I said, hey, I'm still young in this game. Maybe it's something I'm not seeing. I try to you know, always take the opinions of people who have done this longer than me and try to incorporate them and you know, see if there's maybe a mistake that I'm making. But it's starting to show up at the pro level where he's getting left in the dust and he really doesn't have the recovery speed to make up for it when he really gets burned. And the other guys, there's just so much depth on this roster. Right now, for the outside guys primarily, I've got Gilmore making the roster, Jason McCourty, J.C. Jackson, and Jawan Williams. Jawan Williams, I think, is a guy that they're probably going to try to get him involved in the role that you were talking about for Obi. I think that's him. I think no. Jawan is going to be the guy covering tight ends. Um, you saw J.C. Jackson as a rookie take on Travis Kelsey. I don't see how he passed up a guy like Jawan Williams with his size. And inside, I've got John Jones. And as a special teamer and slot backup, I've got Keon Crossan, who I really hope can emerge because this is a little down the road. But I think it'll he'll, if Keon Crossan can develop, he could be a big help against the Chiefs with um, Tyreek Hill and Cole Hardman with their blinding speed. They're, they're going to be tough to match up with. But this is a really diverse group that can cover any type of receiver. I think we're mainly going to see Gilmore and McCordy on the outside in those packages with John Jones inside. And I think J.C. Jackson will come on the field when they're uh, using a lot of their blitz packages or when they know a pass is coming and have Jason McCordy cover the running backs. They did that a lot in uh, last season when they started breaking out these blitz packages, and they also did it last week against the Panthers. So that's how I see that group shaking out. Okay, any surprises when it comes to the specialists? We had the puncher battle decided, but anything that you're doing differently there, or is it the same names we usually see? That one was about as easy for me as the uh, running backs. I got Gostowski, uh, Bailey, he's going to be doing kickoffs, I think, to help Gostowski's leg, and then uh, I've also got him as the punter and the holder. I know people are going to be a little nervous because he put, gave uh, Gasowski the laces, the laces on one of those field goals against the Panthers, but he was on the sidelines working on that. 
he seems like a really dedicated kid, and Belichick clearly has faith if he was willing to let go of Ryan Allen and, you know, give him an opportunity to find a job elsewhere so early. And then Joe Cardona, obviously, is the long snapper. So that one was pretty straightforward for me. No real surprises there. As we head towards the final preseason game, Taylor, we'll get you out of here on this one. Are there any guys that might be on sort of that roster bubble, like say an Obi Malafonwu, for example, or some of the other guys that you think could help themselves earn a spot in this final preseason game? I think some of the big guys, maybe not to make the roster, but at least to stick around, I'd go David Perry with his ability to play inside, just in case the team maybe needs an emergency option at uh, nose tackle if God forbid anything happens to Danny Shelton or uh, Lawrence Guy. I think he's a guy that stood out at times in the preseason. He's got a lot of upside. He's just had a crowded spot on the depth chart. And like we mentioned before, I think Obi Lofanwu, Dan Skipper, and Cole Crossing can do a lot to help their deals with a solid preseason game against the uh, against the Giants. So we'll see how that all you know works out. But there's definitely guys that are fighting for roster spots. Luckily, there aren't as many as there really have been in recent years. There's a lot of depth on this team and not a lot of spots for bubble guys. So we'll see. Fantastic stuff, Taylor. Before you go, please just let everybody know where they can find you on social media, what you've got going on this season. Yes, sir. You can find me on Twitter at T-K-Y-L-E-S 39. Uh, this season, I'll be doing a lot of scouting reports on the Patriots' upcoming opponents, seeing where their opponents may be vulnerable and where the Patriots will possibly be attacked by them, uh, which is going to be tough because, as I said, there's a lot, a lot of depth and talent on this team. Patriots Nation's in for a fun season. This is one of the best, I think, defensive groups that Belichick had to work with. And it's literally the biggest receiving core that Brady's ever had. So there's a lot to like about this season. So uh, can't wait to get it underway. Fantastic stuff as always, Taylor. Folks, that will do it for today's show and for this week. Those of you here in the States are headed into the Lawn Labor Day weekend, and I wish you safe travels and some relaxing time away. We'll be back next week for our first game week of the season. We'll be chatting with Noah Princiati from the Boston Globe about the final roster moves. And we're going to catch up with my friend Alex Kazor from Steelers Depot to preview this season opener. Also, a gentle reminder, dear friends, to please leave some ratings and reviews for the Pat's Pulpit Podcast on Apple Podcasts. This does help us. Again, as I've said before in the past, help me help you. Also, tell your friends where to find us, such as Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Until next time, dear friends, please do enjoy your Labor Day weekend or wherever you are around the world. Enjoy your weekend. And please keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.